welcome to a new episode of Design Cafe, a podcast where we have mindful, candid conversations for designers in tech. This season, we're going to cover a lot of difficult but important topics like the challenges of career growth, toxicity at work, mental health and diversity, equity and inclusion. These are topics that maybe don't get talked about as often as we like, but they no less impact us all as designers. I'm your co-host Susan. And I'm your co-host Sandrine. If you like our podcast, please follow and rate us on your podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter, where we are at Design Cafe, and LinkedIn, where we are Design Cafe. Our website is designcafe.com, which includes a link to our Buy Me A Coffee page as well, in case you want to buy us a coffee to help support our podcast. So for this week's episode, we are going to talk about the meaty topics of redundancies and forced pay cuts or forced reduction in hours. Most of us who work in tech and design have probably been affected in one way or another by the really tough times the last few months. And it could be that you've been directly laid off or you might have seen your colleagues laid off or you might have been forced to take a pay cut or you might find it really difficult to find new work in the current market. And for this episode, we have not one, but two special guests with us to talk about their experiences with redundancies and pay cuts, Tia Maurenen and Tom Kerwin. Welcome and welcome. Um, perhaps we can start with introductions and uh, re- reintroductions so listeners know who you are. Tia, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Hi, yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, my name is Tia. I'm a senior product designer uh, in London fertility startup and I've been in startups for as long as I can remember now my entire design career. Awesome and Tom you've been on the podcast before I just did a quick check and your guest episode is top 10 in the top 10 of our most listened uh, most listened episodes. So oh, that's um, very gratifying to hear. <laughs> so it's a very popular one um, but um, maybe just to remind listeners or, or for new listeners of, of um, who you are could you tell us a bit about sure. yourself? Yeah so I'm also kind of a product designer but moved into much more innovation coaching I think and, and general design coach. Uh, so on the last podcast, I'm pretty sure I was talking about pivot triggers and a lot of the work around that. Uh, since I was on the podcast, that has now grown into a card deck, which is coming out soon called Innovation Tactics through Pit Decks. And I'm also teaching uh, courses about this through Maven. So there's Innovate Confidently with Pivot Triggers course. Uh, there's a new thing of that coming out, uh, a new cohort coming out in May. Um, so, yeah, all of that I'm, I'm working on at the moment. Nice. Keeping keeping busy then. Um, cool. Let's just dive straight in um, and and talk about your experiences with redundancies and and pay cuts and and or pay cuts. Um, Tia, let's start with you. What's what's your experience? Yeah. So I have a kind of one direct experience and a few close by experiences. In my past, I've been in a situation where um, when the whole the hours were cut for the whole team, so the entire team working at the company were asked to go and reduce hours and the corresponding reduced pay as well. I've also been close to redundancies before, but I haven't actually been made redundant before. And for my for me, that experience of like I'll be talking about specifically about the uh, cut hours 
And that was, for me, it was a corresponding 20% pay cut. And I was working four days, uh, four days a week. And yeah, it was a funny situation because there was hope already from the beginning that it would be temporary. But of course, in the situation like this, you never know actually how long it's going to going to be go, which is not unusual at all. But it was a, uh, okay, we're going to see how long this takes. And in the end, it was only for two months, but a lot happened in those two months. I can imagine. Well, what was it like to deal with that uncertainty? Well, I think the uncertainty is the biggest question there. Like, not the question. That is the biggest point is it was a, you know, a lot of like, what do I do? Because I still have a job, but there's uncertainty around, can we, you know, what's going to happen afterwards? Is this going to end? And also the practicals, like how long can I afford to do this? Um, I still had a job and I still had a paycheck coming in, but you know, how long can you do that? Because a 20% cut is, does have an impact in your life. And you know, you can do things for a while, but there's a, yeah, there was a lot of decisions, a lot of internal thinking and a lot of what do I do now and what do I need to see before I make any decisions happening. Uh, and and Tom, what what is your experience? Does um and how does it compare to Tia's? Do you think? I've not been through the pay cut style, um, so I've heard about that and and seen other people who've who've dealt with that, and it's. I think it's a different beast somehow because you're you're still working there, but you've got that uncertainty. At least, once you've been made redundant, you know, like it's happened, and you've got to deal with it. But it's not. It's not that limbo state that I would imagine you deal with. So I've been through redundancy a couple of times in my 25-year career through startups and scale-ups. And I think a couple of times isn't too bad. Like I've been there when there have been rounds of redundancies and I wasn't made redundant. I've also been made redundant a couple of times. Um, it was a shock the first time. But I think if you work in tech, if you work in startups, it's part of the cycle. Companies are trapped in a cycle where they overhire, make big promises. The VCs then go, we need the money back. And the company runs out and then has to make some people redundant and then start again. And that's that's kind of going to happen. So one time, uh, the, the last time I was made redundant, it was a maneuver to sell the company that was involved. They needed to cut costs to make it look good. And you know, it was... It was a shock at the time, but I got it. Afterwards, I could understand why I was made redundant. And it's something I'll say throughout this. Most likely, if you're being made redundant from a company, it's not about you. It's not actually about you. It's not about the value you're delivering to the company necessarily even. There's other stuff going on, most likely. Um, now, that time, the previous time, it was quite nice. The market was up. It was all looking good. Got a job quite easily. This time, it was the tech layoffs. And the company where I was, 40% of the, the over 40% of the staff were laid off, including half of the product people. And you don't need a design leader for a big design team if you don't have a big design team anymore. So I, I was uh, gone with the lot. Uh, and the market now, I've got to say, for people who have been made redundant now, it seems way tougher. And I'm seeing notes from like really famous designers whose books you've read, whose videos you've watched and they're struggling it's it's a different situation right now you said a you said a few things there that i i really really agree with and i have all over my notes as well one being the one being that it is not you <laughs> when you're if it's about hours if it's about if you're being redundant it doesn't it's so hard especially in the beginning like i find like that shock that comes with 
I haven't been made redundant, but the shock of it is it's like, it doesn't mean you're not good at your job. It doesn't mean you're about not a valuable person, but the, and the environment and so little of it, we, we rarely see unless, you know, you're at Twitter and it's all over the news and everywhere else. We usually don't see what's happening in the environment. Yeah, I really agree with this, actually, that that point around the it's not about you, it's it's about the company and the context of what it's going through. Um, I was wondering, actually, how how did you reach, I guess, that conclusion? I think a lot of people that go through redundancies, the first thing that sometimes they might think is, as you said, Tia, like, oh, I'm not good at my job. Why have I been selected, you know, out of all of my other colleagues? Um, do you have any advice, I guess, to take a bit of a step back towards that and reassess yourself in that context and not be too harsh, I guess, with, with yourself and your skills and so forth? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. Um, it's easy to say, realise that it's not about you, but it feels damn personal and it sucks. It just does. And you'll be in shock and people are in shock in different ways. I know each time it's happened to me, I've had a couple of days right after the news where I'm like, this is fine. And I'm out there and I'm like, I'm just applying to more jobs. This is absolutely fine. And then it's the next week when I crash and then it takes some time and it's, oh. so it's going to be different for everybody, but you, you probably do need to go through the, um, you know, the stages of grief. It is, it's a grieving process. You have to go through the stages of grief. You're going to, go through a little bit of anger, the shock, there's the anger, there's the depression. I think there's probably more anger. Um, often that's that's pretty important, lots of anger. Um, but you, you work through that. I think you need to take some time is one thing. You might not have infinite funds to take a lot of time, but take some time at least and do stuff that you know makes you feel better. So get outside for a bit eat some good food, hang out with your friends, do do me time, all the stuff you've been saying, I'll do that when I, when there's time, when I, when I don't have a job. You can do that stuff, maybe, but don't, you don't have to do anything. You've got side projects, don't worry about them, don't, don't do stuff that's gonna make you feel good. Um, you probably also want to connect with others at some point. You don't wanna feel like it's just you, you're all on your own. Um, you might be someone who really doesn't get anything from talking with other people. I'm not going to tell you to go and talk to other people if you really don't feel good when you do that. But we evolved as a species to live in connection with one another. So you're probably slightly lying to yourself if you really think you don't get anything from connecting with other people. What you might be feeling is shame and sadness and those sorts of things. And you might feel like, uh, you know, wary about sharing this news with the world. Um so, yeah, you, I'd say it, you, you can feel that, but it might still be worth pushing yourself to talk with someone anyway. And if you've got no like immediate friends or you feel really bad about talking with friends, you might even consider therapy. I'm a big ad advocate for therapy, counselling, that sort of thing. It was huge for me. Uh, it wasn't directly redundancy related, but it's all connected. The same tools apply in every situation. So, yeah, there's there's a few things. I Talking with people, I agree with that so much. And I didn't realize how much I needed that. And it was really hard because when I when I was in that situation, my eyes were cut, I felt a bit guilty as well. Because like, I mean, why am I feeling so strongly about this? I still have a job. And I I didn't realize how much I needed to speak to other people 
until I met up with a bunch of other designers. And it was just one of those things that like, I can be a bit angry and people understand. And everyone that I spoke about pretty much that they had been through a similar situation or had been made redundant recently or in the past. And I was like, okay, okay, this is good. Talking about this is good. And talking with people who have been in there and have been, you know, looking for new jobs as designers or like just really get it because there are, you know, we're not alone. I mean, there's only two of us on this podcast, but not the only ones in the history of tech and designers who have been in these situations. <laughs> and so, yeah, obviously with the with the recent tech layoffs, there's there have been a lot of people in the same boat. Have you found have you found that kind of support from the community quite helpful um but also because the market has been tough has it also been a bit scary that everyone's struggling to find work or to to cope through this like I guess what I'm asking is how is it to balance the fact that a lot of people are in a similar boat as you but also it's really tough for absolutely everyone so it's not like you can just easily bounce back because the market is is good I uh I'm not sure about this market right now, but I can only imagine how much harder it is because my first reaction was, you know, that go and reach to anyone who's ever sent you a LinkedIn message and find out who's hiring for jobs. And the second immediately following is, I am way no not good enough to find it. No one will ever hire me again. I'm never going to find another job. And, you know, right now you go, you know, this tech, all of these big tech layoffs. I've been spending the entire time of like, hoping that it doesn't happen to me right now because I don't like it's just it adds to that I can only imagine how it adds to those feelings of like how am I ever going to find a job and it's tough and there's so many amazing incredible people out there um mm-hmm. yeah it's um like like it's hard to find a new job and it's a you know finding a new job is a humbling humbling process of designer at any given state of the economy let alone when everyone else is doing the same thing at the same time yeah completely agree it is that it's very ambivalent you've got it was kind of nice to be laid off as part of a big gang because i did chat with a lot of the others who'd been affected and even chat with some of the people who were left behind it's not nice for the people who who didn't get made redundant either um so that that part was good but yeah as i saw the news and as i saw people i knew struggling um and then a little confession, as I saw people that I knew getting jobs and I wasn't getting one, that was hard too. <laughs> like, hey, why not me? So yeah, it's not easy. There's a lot of emotions involved. On the topic of, of the people left behind, or not left behind, but you know, the people who are on the opposite side of whatever your situation is, are there ways you can support each other or, or are there ways that company can support you if you're if you're being made redundant or are there ways that the remaining colleagues can support you if, you if you're being made redundant or vice versa have you experienced or observed any of those things like things handled well from the other side from the other side yeah uh i've seen it done really badly uh, and i've seen it done quite well so i'd say the last round was pretty good um overall one of the things that's good for companies to do to do i think there's a mixture. Often it's recommended the company should give plenty of notice, but what you then get is a sort of extended period of uncertainty. And maybe that's not that good. So the last one I had was out of the blue. It was the company 
recalculated some numbers they previously thought were fine and realized they were definitely not fine and so it was just overnight from one one day everyone was called into a meeting in the morning and the news was delivered but what they did was uh, they they gave they offered uh, some support so you could talk with people there they put together a spreadsheet with uh, everyone's details on and a spreadsheet of job opportunities that they knew about and they could offer to hook you up um, through their networks effectively uh, they gave everyone a great reference and they gave a, a reasonably fair severance package. So I think all of those things are the basics, but I think they're probably not done by everyone. I had a similar list of like, and that, that transparency is so hard because like like we talked about earlier, we don't always know what's going in the environment. And I've been in a situation where we're maybe close to redundancies or the future was a bit uncertain in one of, one of, the, one of the many startups I worked in where... At the same time, it was great. Everyone knew exactly how long the runway is and kind of what's the plans going for it. But then you also risk the fact that, well, not everyone might leave. And what if we didn't do better and people have left because of the because of just the uncertain future? And then it's a surprise. And also, like, it's so hard to know what's going on the other side sometimes. And but yeah, the yeah, good pay, talk to people and um and the good reference and intros some of like i've met great colleagues who were being laid off or who had been laid off or made redundant that then got intros because you know especially in startup founders will know each other founders know who's going out founders will send emails out it's like hey we have to lay some people off they're right there and i think any good like any good management should do that as a default and the team is i almost wish like when I when I had the hours reduced because it was the whole team I almost wish like it was a hard situation because everyone's hours had been cut but you didn't necessarily know what other people were thinking about it and if other people were making plans because we were we were all reduced hours and pay but we were also all still there but you know like I you know knowing what I did LinkedIn's and portfolio updates and all of that stuff. You can assume that other people had a lot of very similar thought processes going on, but on the day to day, those days that you are still working, the business goes on as usual. So it's really weird, especially in the first few weeks um, before we kind of settled into the new new normal. It was really weird knowing, not knowing like who can I really talk about this? What are other people doing? We're all living in an uncertainty, but. Like, is someone planning on leaving? Who's going to surprise? Like, what is, what's going to happen in the next few bits? Because it then became more uncertainty, not just about, you know, the business or how long this is going for me personally, but also what is the team going to look like? So every, where I, where, where I was working back at the, at the day when this happened, everyone did agree to the pay cuts. Um, so no one gave in the notice, but you also don't know how like what the conditions people gave to themselves of how long they're going to keep doing it so i find at that point talking to everyone else who wasn't necessarily my colleague was much easier because there wasn't the balancing of still keeping the teaming still kind of working together and keeping that going but you also need to just vent and have a chat and figure out your life at the same time yeah that's really interesting and it, it, it you made me think of there's such a difference if you're in office. So pre-pandemic, when we're all in the office, you would smell, you know, when there were something bad was coming, you could get a sense of redundancies. People in HR have fairly loose lips. It's, it's just, this is how it works. And down the pub, 
you've chatted with people, you know the deal. In the remote world, fully remote, it's much more of a surprise and it's much harder to just accidentally have a coffee conversation with somebody and get some clues about what's going on and all this sort of stuff. You have to make a Zoom meeting. We're going to talk about redundancy. It's like, it's not going to happen. So it's really different. Yeah, you don't see who is spending an increasing amount of time together in a meeting room when they didn't before. And it's like, oh, what's that sign about? Yeah, Exactly. I, I totally agree. I mean, I've been uh, also li- living through uh, pay cuts during the pandemic. So I, I know to you what that's like as well to kind of be like, okay, we're supposed to continue business as usual. But yeah, realistically, there's a lot of sanctity. Um And more recently, my company went through redundancies as well. And sometimes there's a long process to go through as well. And people are waiting to to hear back whether they are part of the pool. Um, and yeah, there's like, I, I find there's a lot of pressure to continue working and showing up for work and showing that you're still engaged. But yeah, your colleagues might be going, you might be going yourself. It's, it's really difficult. I was wondering actually, um, how do you feel about... Um, Actually, looking back from people who stay um, in in the case of redundancies, I find that sometimes um, when I've seen my colleagues being made redundant, they are sometimes kind of gone the next day and I didn't really get to say goodbye, celebrate their work. Just, you know, make them feel like they were valued human beings of the team. And sometimes I felt like, oh, should I reach out? Should I not reach out? What's best? You know, they might be angry. I don't really know and I don't really want to be intrusive and I find it really hard to like find a line and I was wondering from your experience uh, maybe Tom your your best place to answer this what is the best way to maybe say goodbye I guess to people who have been made redundant is should you say goodbye and if you should then what's the best way to do that really good question (laughs) It's going to be different for different people. So I don't think there's a one size fits all answer. Speaking for myself, I certainly appreciated it when uh, some of the colleagues that I work closely with did reach out. And uh, what we had that the company did quite well, actually, was uh, they kept access to Slack and they made a sort of special channel for everyone who was caught up in the redundancies. And so everyone could pour in there and, and send the nice messages and say, hey, here's here's my contact details, here's where I'm going next. And there was a, I think they gave a week of that. This was, this happened just before Christmas. It was like, lovely, lovely Christmas gift to us all. But uh, th- there was time then for that sort of goodbyes to happen. I also remember from other jobs, what you're describing, Sandrine, this this sort of, from one day to the next, someone is just not there anymore. And it oh, that always felt really, dark we called it brown bagging and it was that felt wrong as well I agree the last time that didn't happen and I I would say people reached out to me but it didn't feel like there was pressure like I had to get back to them Um, they left I think everyone who did it was like hey no worries if you don't want to get on a call right now but just wanted to let you know etc etc I think that that's not going to go down badly with anyone I find that so interesting as well, because what you were saying there, like, first of all, that sounds like a really nice thing, the Slack channel, but it also seems to reflect the difference between a mass layoff or a whole department being let go versus more smaller scale. Like sometimes only one or two people are being made redundant. And I think those are the scenarios where we've all been maybe a bit more often than mass layoffs. 
and it's so like it's it can be so hard when you're because you if you are the one staying behind you only get the side of you only hear the kind of what is the official party line and it can be really hard it's like do I reach out what's the mood like if it's just happened suddenly overnight it's really it's really weird totally as a self-proclaimed slightly anxious person how how do you navigate the sort of paranoia and anxiety you might feel when you see colleagues either be made redundant or or go through um what's it called in in the UK like a consulting period it's that kind of long drawn out period of maybe you'll be made redundant maybe you won't um and and you you yourself you're in this situation of of I think I'm safe. I've been told I'm safe, but I might not be safe. And and the kind of the stories you build, the narratives you build in in your head of worst case scenarios and that sort of thing. I I would could definitely see myself being quite paranoid and anxious in those situations. And if I if I were to take it to the extreme, I might sort of try and preempt that and go, okay, well, I'm just gonna find a new job and get my portfolio in order. And is is that a wise thing? How, how do you yeah? How do you manage that? uncertainty and anxiety that you build up in yourself i don't know whether it's wise but it's very common so i think it's pretty standard that companies should expect if you make x percent of your workforce redundant half of x will then leave in the next six months as a sort of bounce from the redundancy because they're thinking well that happened could happen again might be me next time and Maybe now the people they enjoyed working with have gone. Maybe when you have this redundancy, there's always a total drop in productivity for a couple of months at least while people are just processing it. And the projects that you enjoyed might now have changed. So all of that is going to happen. Um, Tia, you had something better to say. No, I didn't. That was a that was a really good point that I always forget about. Um, I was going to say, I was going to talk about the the anxiety because I... And I, this links to a wider problem of, you know, I've been, I've spent my career in early stage startups, um, mostly companies that no one's ever heard about and might never hear about, depending on how things go. Um, and the anxiety is first, the first is like a very, I don't know what the right term to describe it is, but essentially, I know there's nothing I can do about it if I'm going to be made redundant. Like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen and there's nothing I can do about it. But I'm also really bad at, I, I talked about, I, I wrote down in my notes, like it's the balancing the reward of the current job and acknowledging the risk. Because whether it's redundancy is happening, bad market, early stage startup that you have no idea how things are going to go, you kind of, there's a lot of risks happening at the same time. And I'm really bad at acknowledging the risk. I'm, I tend to go the other way. I was like, well, it's going to be good for a while. I'll keep, I'll keep swimming. And I never update my portfolio. And, and on the other hand, is that like, I don't want to think about that risk too much because either I can't impact it or it's going to really take away my joy of the job that I'm doing. Because in reality, like what, what's the percentage of startups that fail um, before ever making? And in, you know, there's mass layoffs that currently, there's also a lot of startups just folding because fundraising is really, really hard right now. And the it's it's a hard one. Like, like you can't live. I don't think like it's really easy to, but it, you shouldn't. You just try to not live in an environment where you think this will end any day. This will be over tomorrow. This can end any day. Or on the other side, my this was a happy little land. And then when there's you know pay cuts happen, and it's like oh, it's been two years since I updated my portfolio, or it's been a year and I have no idea what to put in there. And it's a it's a constant balancing act of 
what who do you let talk in your head mm. it's a that's a really good point and it is how do you have both because the, the, there is being paranoid but is it paranoia if they're really out to get you and and there is if you're choosing to go into startups as we have chosen to do then yeah there is a risk and you're accepting that risk so th- there's an element of working in startups which means getting your shoulder right to the grindstone and putting in real effort and believing that there is somewhere this can go and holding both ideas at the same time is tricky i did have a sort of couple of notes that i thought through about cuz i think you you guys had asked before what what's your short term and long term strategy if you're made redundant and i kind of thought the long term strategy side of it it's really once you're made redundant it's a bit late and so <laughs> there is a way that you can i think knowing that you're in a world where redundancy is a possibility means that i certainly try to and i'm not perfect at this and i think anyone is but try to just keep a couple of things ticking over keep connecting with people keep having conversations with interesting people from interesting companies maybe a couple of recruiters just keep your hand in you don't have to jump but there's nothing wrong with going and having a couple of chats every couple of months and just keeping your eye in like that and keeping a sense of what's out there as well uh, keep your options open and the other thing you really want to do is i think just have a safety buffer and i've heard of people having a safety buffer for anything from 6 months of bills to 18 months of bills depending on how hard what their risk tolerance is and how hard it's going to be for them to get another job so once you've got that you then i think then you can feel a little bit safer you don't have to worry about it continually you don't have to keep your cv updated every day um you're just letting it chunter along in the background a little bit absolutely because all of those things are so much harder to do when you add the financial pressure and the emotional stress of it it's like we you know tend to think about things like that when 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 things really go bad or go sour but that's not that's the hardest time to think about those and that's the hardest time to do them and that's also the hard like really hard time to put yourself out there in a good light because you are already trodden you have the stress of how long do i have money for before i am homeless or can't pay my bills and the emotional stress of all of the stages of grief and shock that you're going through at the same time it's not hard it's not easy not it easy is. to interview when you're feeling all of that and you're going to smell desperate and that's not that's not going to get you very far <laughs> i've been through that as well it's uh, yeah it's not not fun yeah i suppose if you don't have that longer term thinking in place that you have these sort of conversations in the network and a financial buffer and that sort of thing you can quite easily get a bit of a tunnel vision and perhaps go for a job that you wouldn't normally go maybe the values don't align with yours maybe you need to take a much bigger pay cut than 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 you would have otherwise um and so on so how do you how do you maintain how do you both manage to stay pragmatic look at the reality of the situation and the market and also maintain your self-worth and and core values through all of this and, and not sort of yeah panic and 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 become a bit desperate if that makes you're sense. making a big assumption that we are yes. able to do it's that like i i don't <laughs> yeah same it's try and 
yeah but it, it's it's hard it's hard there's like the situations i've been with pay cuts or thinking i have to find a job you know when i first started out and you know i was graduating and i knew i only have so much money left and i have to find a job i've definitely you know undersold myself gone for things i would never go and it's just like because the priority is survival the priority is getting any safety buffer anything that doesn't eat your savings and i have no i am really really bad at saving i'm working on it in my 30s but i'm historically very bad at saving and in all of those situations i think i have never managed to not panic and my best career moves have happened with a stability in the background where i know that i don't need a job i want the job or i'm looking for the right right position like when i when i joined my current company it was from an ambiguous situation to a hey here's a good good time to have a chat and i was also so much more confident like when i've been in those situations where i need a new job my confidence is gone but having a casual chat about with someone about a potential job i'm like oh yeah i'm the best thing in the world like you really can't wait to hire me this is the greatest thing you can ever do for your company and it's just i have not figured out how to do that when you really need a job yeah so i think the pragmatic step you've you've kind of laid it out there which is you just take what you can get if you're desperate and you need the money and then you have a job it's not brilliant but you've got a job you can then start looking for something better absolutely and it might take time but at that point you're not you've stopped the bleeding so you can you can then take time to sort of recover from it yeah i think this is quite key to give yourself as well the chance to look back at your situation after things have calmed down i think i mean i think the people are a bit more accepting now of people leaving a company after a few months if it's not the right fit for them for example but let's say you you've taken a job to stop the bleeding as you said um if you evaluate your situation six months after and you realize that actually maybe you can actually do better with a different position somewhere else i think it's also giving yourself permission to look back and, and make that change for yourself i think that's quite important it is and i think i think you asked by the wider design community and tech community can do to people who are in this situation and i kept thinking about hiring managers and recruiters and people who are interviewing people like us and people in those situations because there's one thing is your own confidence but it's also really different to position yourself and how people who are hiring are looking at you when you're you know riding high in a company that is doing really well and you're just looking for the thing that fits you really well or you've just been made redundant or left the company suddenly because you don't always have like if you're in that situation the chances are that you might not have the greatest success to show for where you work you might not have that you know that traditional hey we grew x percent and we did really really well because well the company went under or had to make redundancies so you can't say that hey i brought this much profit into the company and the metrics were great and this is all the impact of my job my work which makes it also so much harder to put yourself out there and i was i was thinking about it from that perspective like you're first downtrodden because you've been made redundant or you're in a desperate situation then people will also i don't it, this might be a very very overreaching statement but you might not look that great people might not people don't look might not look at you with the lens of oh yeah what did this person do 
and separate that from the environment of what happened. Totally, yeah. It's it's called the halo effect, and it affects us all. It, you judge everything. You, you make up a story about the, the whole situation, the company, the designer, based on the end result, not what the designer did, not the bigger situation. It's, exactly. and It's very hard to overcome that. It is. And like if you've been in a startup that was sold or folded, like... If you're a founder and you leave that, you have that, you know, you reached for the stars and it did. If you're an early start, early employee in a startup, you probably did the similar thing. You took a lot of risk with your career, but you're seen as the person who, you know, left a folded company or things went really badly again, um, rather than a, you know, founder looking for the next opportunity or just looking for a new job again. It feels like that might be a little bit harder for um, startups that are not particularly known. Like if you look at Meta, for example, I don't think any one of us would blame the the people being made redundant right now for <laughs> for the meta layoffs. Um, and we're all considering these people very talented just because they were working there. And I guess you don't really have that luxury when you're working for a company that no one really knows much about. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's another example of the halo effect there. For a while, a lot of people were getting aiming to get jobs at Meta, Google, all the fan companies, knowing that just having that on their CV would let them walk into other jobs. Even though what they were probably doing in a very huge company bears no relation to what most startups need to do and need people to be able to do. It's still, it's that halo effect again. But then you're right, it works the other way around too, um, which is tricky. I think one thing I was going to say is a big element of that sort of working through the process after the redundancy and preparing for your next role is that you need to reflect on your time there. You need to reframe your story. And I, I see the this problem with a lot of people when they're preparing their portfolio is they're preparing a portfolio about the past. But you need to prepare your portfolio about the next job you're going to have. And you're telling a story of why you're the right person to have that next job you'd like to have. You're going to need some time to reframe what happened at the, at the last company and how the redundancy fitted into that story. Um, but you can find a way. That was such a good tip. I wrote it down in my notebook. Oh, nice. Yeah, so with, with reframing the story, do you think there are strengths to be gained from having gone through a difficult situation like a redundancy or or having to take a pay cut and and if so, how might you, how much you, how much you play to those strengths in a narrative you build? Like, are you it's a cheesy, cheesy thing? But you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and all of that. Is there, what are the positive bits you can pull out of this experience to bring with you further? Gosh, I mean, that's going to be different. There's different versions of it in different situations, but absolutely, yes, you can reframe it. Um, I mean, this is something else I tell with my hiring manager hat on. I tell all designers who ask for portfolio advice, this sort of thing. So I don't want to see a shiny, perfect story of a textbook style design project because no design project actually goes like that. I want to see the things that went wrong. I want to see that you believed it was going to be this at the start. And then three months in, it was like, oh, my God, it's not that. We've got to change everything. How did you handle that? Because that's the reality. I want to see that you you had this this massive problem when a supplier went down and, and you had to scramble to fix it. I want to know all of the, the messes that you got into and all of the difficulties. 
because that's a it's a good story and b it shows that you have the qualities you're going to need as a designer to be resilient to be adaptive to let go of the process and make things happen and so yeah i think you can turn almost anything around i mean i don't think it's true universally that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger sometimes what doesn't kill you permanently cripples you and you're you have a, a an ongoing problem so it's not that simple but i think there's a lot of things that you can reframe i think there's also an ongoing absolutely and i need to be better at all of those things and we all do we all do that's your strength <laughs> and there's also a uh, i think there's also a practical like a very very practical strength about having gone through something difficult which is it forces you in the worst possible way to reflect on well what are your strengths what do you what do you do what does your budget and what does what do your savings actually look like um i know for sure every time i've had a more difficult time you forget about it you forget about these things after a while of happiness and stability but they're very good <laughs> they're very good moments to reflect on the practical things well what is in my portfolio what is in my savings account what do I, how do i sell myself and in the daily you know in the very positive way in the daily life you don't really often have that chance to take that opportunity and think about it and think about yourself and your career and your strengths but then sometimes the negative can be a good moment to force you to do that absolutely yeah and and even up to the level of considering is this career choices that I've been making? Do I still want to go on that path? Do I want to stay in this sort of industry? Do I want to move? All that. It's, I think it's often an opportunity for people to do that or even to shift to say, I'm going to try freelancing. I'm going to set up a business. It can be the push that some people need to to do that thing that's been niggling the back of their head. <laughs> that, last, that last thing you said resonates a lot. So I haven't been directly... Uh, made redundant for example but it was a bit of an amalgamation of a lot of the things you touch upon having been through startups early stage startups dealing with that risk seeing people around me be made redundant that was that final shove for me to look at take stock basically of my own career and, and my own situation and my own finances and that sort of thing and and decide to go freelance which is what I'm doing now so yeah I hadn't thought of it um from that lens but you're making me re reflect on how I ended up where I am right now that's awesome congrats on making the jump to freelance I think I've seen like plenty about how do people go freelance and it's a shocking number of cases where it was they were made redundant or sacked or something like that and then that that was what finally kicked it it is a disruption i could i want to there's so many startup lingo buzzwords i could say and i was like it is dis disrupting your status quo but instead of an industry it's your own life and your own career sometimes need someone to push that doesn't make it easier but it can be very fruitful in the end yes that's that's something that a lot of people i think say when when someone's been made redundant it's one it's one of the condolences that, that is standard to give, which is, oh, you'll, it'll be, it's the first step towards something better. You're going to end up somewhere better. And it's a little bit like in the moment, you really don't want to hear that. It's not. I'm making not faces helpful. because toxic positivity is one of my biggest peeves <laughs> in the world. And you don't want to hear that. Like, yeah, you want to vent, you want to feel those feelings and you want to talk about what's going on. You don't want to hear, 
oh, but remember all the things that started from, you know, started from these disruptions and it's going to get so much golden and, you know, one door opens and 51, one door closes and 51 open. It's like, well, I can't see those doors right now. I don't care. Yeah, I think that's one thing to like reflect back on when the redundancy happened and looking at where you are now and be like, oh, you know what? Actually, I'm glad this happened because I was able to do that instead. But that's another thing to tell someone who's going through a tough time to be like, ah, just cheer up. It's going to get better. And it's like, well, it's not actually helpful in the immediate moment. And it can be a little bit insensitive. Um, I'd like to actually go back on talking a little bit about what are the best ways to handle redundancies and pay cuts. Um, I think we've touched a little bit on how companies can best support employees or announce as well. And yeah, I'd like to know in your experience, what would you consider to be a good way of doing it? And then we can also talk about a bad way of doing it. I don't know if you've had the experience of both, but what makes a, a good a good way of dealing with this versus a poor way of, of it? I think Tom had a lot of good to say about the good way of doing it, at least. I, I was lucky to go through lucky, <laughs> lucky to be be made redundant. But l- lucky that the the last company that did that, I think, did it in a pretty good way. And I think you can look at what's the bad way of doing it by going the other way. So, if the news of redundancy gets out in the rumor mill, say, and you're not just announcing it to everybody fairly, I think that's bad. If you say mm, there might be redundancies, but we're not sure. We're figuring it out. I think that's pretty bad. I think it is the on on the heads of the senior leadership to understand the financials, understand what the real picture is, and say, we're going to need to do actual redundancies. It's going to be this many people. We are going to let you know by this date and not leave people in limbo, not leave people in that state of uncertainty for very long. I think then giving... if if. If the company is not giving severance packages that are reasonable, given whatever the state of the market is, um, I mean, it, I think it, one thing that that can be bad. There are companies who are say, if you've relocated for work and then you get made redundant, and you've moved your whole life here and you're not really set up, that's that's a really bad situation. I think the company should go above and beyond if there are people in that sort of situation so and the other thing that the company could do badly is well we've made you redundant that's it you're, you're gone never darken our door again that's it's just cutting off and, and no access to networks or anything like that is is not a reasonable way to go i would say anything to add i feel like there's plenty of bad ways there's plenty of bad ways and i want to say when when I was in the situation where the whole team, I was work up, I, it was done well. Like it was a difficult situation for everyone involved, but when it had happened and that surprise was kind of dealt with and, and got over that one, the the company had really really good communication with us in those in those months of uncertainty. Is it wasn't there were no false promises or no like oh next week next week like that would be a really bad way of doing it of stringing hope but there's like not quite yet not quite yet they were really open about we don't know yet how long and here are the reasons why we don't know this and here's the reason why we're here um, but also a weekly like I think it was pretty much weekly updates of what's happened since last time what are we doing you know how are we working to get us back to full time and you know 
there was a hope and the hope was always that we're going to go back to full time and we did end up going back to full time but it was really I really really appreciated that communication throughout like it's hard but this is what we're doing this is what has changed since last week and that made it a lot easier to make those decisions and have those thoughts as well because you know I wasn't going to leave in the first week but it helped guide like when you know I set internal deadlines I was like well if by x day something hasn't changed or if why happens, I will take more drastic actions. And that really helped with that uncertainty. That sounds like really good communication props to the company. Because, yeah, that's communicating really clearly and transparently enough without being too transparent. There's a real art to that. And not many companies are particularly good at it, in my experience. No, it was done really well. And I really enjoyed the fact that like it was acknowledged that this is not ideal, but it was also acknowledged that we can't give you a date. Like, we can't give you an end date right now, and this is why. And I really, really appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, I've been a bit in a similar situation where um, our head of design recently went through the whole redundancy process with the teams and the functions, and you could see that they wanted to give more information, but sometimes they they just don't know or they, they can't reveal that information yet because they have to go through a strict process. And... Yeah, sometimes there's also like, it must be quite hard to deal with where, how do you draw that line of like how much you say and how much you want to support people, but also there's some guidelines and process to go through and it gets quite difficult, but that's, yeah, it's kind of how you see what the person is made of as well in those situations. It is really hard and like, I will say this, like being being manager in those situations, being a founder or C-level of, of a management there's a lot of tight ropes to balance on that side as well. So um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame people for things like the economy and decisions. You know, things happen, things happen, but it is not easy on that, that side either. Because there's also the law. Like we can wish for a lot of things and we can wish for the nicest way of making redundant, but there's also law about how you make people redundant and what you can and can't do in those situations. And the law isn't always very kind. I know you had something you're asking about. What can the wider design and tech community do and I think we had we started that a little bit didn't we which was connecting people and I had one thought which I saw somebody on social media saying look people that the people who've been made redundant they don't have a job they need a job they don't need a course they don't need you to polish their CV they don't need interview practice they need a job Um, and I kind of agree with that that at the same time, most of the design and tech community don't have jobs to, to hand out. That's <laughs> not, not within our remit. Um, and so I think we can be there for the people affected as much as we can. We can say, Susan and Sandrine, we could make a podcast and talk about what fairer employment practices might be and how the employers could do it better in the future. And maybe people will hear that and it'll change things. But if everybody sort of stands up for that sort of stuff that could help um it's really easy to help with networking you can look out for job opportunities around in your network and and maybe publicize them i've seen a few recently where someone's saying hey look i'm looking for some people could you share it with your network it's it's really very easy to share it with your network if you're on social media and then selling people a boot camp or a selling a course maybe not that but you can help people with their portfolio, with their CV. Just read through it. Tell them if there's anything in there that you 
you realize that's probably not helping you and that that takes a few minutes and you can do that for for people quite easily it is and if you know if you know someone who is looking for jobs or has been in a company that's affected if you if you know them like there's a degree of knowing that they're a good person saying their names and, and talking about them to other people does help as well because sometimes there might be an opportunity that isn't for example advertised yet or someone knows that they'll be hiring in the next few weeks but or the next few months but they're still figuring at the description and having those names and having people on the radar early never hurts it might not lead to anywhere but it's always a you know a strong recommendation and i've definitely gone through those ones and hired people based on those like you know it is coming up and you get a strong recommendation. It's like, yeah, let, let's do it. Let's let's start the chat. Great. Um, those are really, really helpful tips and advice. Thank you, Tia, and thank you, Tom, for coming on the podcast to share your experiences. Um, hopefully it's helpful to people who might have been in the same situation or hopefully it's it's been giving helpful tips to people who might be affected more indirectly with, with advice and what you can do to colleagues who have been made redundant, for example. Did either of you wanted to want to plug anything? Uh, I've got, obviously, as I said, I took the opportunity of this patch of having time to finish my card deck innovation tactics. So that's law, that's in pre-order now, being printed. It's super exciting. I'm really proud of it. And I think it's going to be really good. So if you're interested in that, pipdex.com slash innovation dash tactics, I think is the link. Um, there's also, uh, I'm building up my coaching and training business. So I took the push and, uh, what do you call it? Incorporated, took the push and incorporated uh, Trigger Strategy Group along with my partner, Carissa Nunn, who's also awesome. And Tia's worked with her a little bit. Um, so we're offering coaching and training around design and uh, messaging strategy. And how do, you, how do you make progress in uncertainty is the big, the big thing. So if anyone's looking for bespoke training or coaching help or help with uh, yeah, writing amazing stuff, um, working with design teams, then absolutely reach out and I'd love to have a chat. I'm going to plug three things in the order from uh, least selfish to most selfish. Um, least selfish, absolutely plugging Tom and Carissa. If you need someone to write things for you, figure out how to message. I work with Carissa. Absolutely fantastic, Carissa Nunn. And... Um, Second plug for if you are hiring or you know someone who's hiring or you know companies that might be growing when things turn better, look out for people who've been made redundant. Google for big redundancies, Google London redundancies. Like you can reach out to those people because there will be a lot of people looking for jobs. Hire them, hire good people. And the third one is the myself selfish. I do work for a fantastic company right now called Bayer Fertility and we are launching this year an at-home fertility treatment, which will be the first of its kind in the country of a full fertility treatment that you can do at home, clinical grade. And I cannot wait to launch it because A, my portfolio will look fantastic at the end of that, but also because we are creating accessible, more affordable um, fertility care. And I am so, so proud about what we're doing. That's super cool. Amazing. I'll make sure to include links to all of those in the episode description. Thank you so much, both of you, again, for, for sharing your experiences. If you want to follow Design Cafe on Twitter, we are at Design Cafe and our website is designcafe.com. Thank you so much for listening and see you in two weeks. Bye.